Hi and welcome. I'm Matt Barbet. Mental health crisis was a phrase being heard long before we all knew about this latest coronavirus. Now, though, the United Nations is warning the impact of the pandemic has the potential to affect the minds of many people across the world and not just threaten their physical health. For Mental Health Awareness Week, I spoke to Nadine Dorries, who's the minister responsible for mental health in England. She was also the first British MP known to have caught COVID-19. Sorry in advance for the sound quality via our lockdown laptops, but I began by asking the minister just how she is now. You know, I'm not 100% and I was diagnosed on March 7th. And um, I'd say it's, you know, I was, I didn't have it mild. I kind of had it moderate to um, to the point where I was getting slightly worried. I wasn't getting better as quickly as I would have liked to have done. And but obviously, you know, I didn't get into hospital, although I think I was probably pretty close. Didn't get into hospital, but... Um, but it hasn't, I'm not 100%. I have probably two days out of seven where I'm just completely staggered from the desk to the bed. Um, I Sometimes there are some days when I can't um, speak in consecutive sentences and uh, without having to stop to breathe, take extra breath. Um, I can't run again yet um, because I get very tight-chested and very breathless. So I think I've probably got some residual kind of lung damage from having it. And, you know, when we're out of the woods on this and things are a little bit more back to normal and I'm not working seven days a week, I probably will look in to have a chest x-ray. But I think I'm one of those people who, I'm not sure what the percentage is, who seem to have this thing called the long tail of coronavirus. So it, you get over the initial symptoms, but you have milder symptoms for quite a long time. That's not because I'm still um, symptomatic in terms of being infectious because obviously the virus has um, left its mark on my lungs. So, yeah, it's not 100%, but, you know, gosh, I am grateful to be alive, grateful to be here and uh, in a much better position than a lot of people. We're talking during Mental Health Awareness Week. You are the the, the minister responsible for mental health uh, in England, uh, at least. How has the experience of COVID-19 had an impact on your own mental health? I don't want to over-pathologise the mental health response people have to COVID because when, whenever you face any um, crisis or unexpected major event in your life which is negative, there will be um, emotions and, and feelings that you go through. And I think we have to be very quick not to jump to diagnosing those as a mental health issue. Um, we all have to find our own resilience within ourselves to deal with what are um, reactions to events. Obviously, if those feelings persist and are with people you know, for a long time, and that includes myself, that's at the point where you need to seek help. But we do know that you know, it doesn't really help to jump in too soon with um, something like this when people are feeling a reaction to this. It doesn't help. In fact, you can do more harm than good. And um, yeah, you know, in terms of my own mental health, I think I'm in the same position as everybody. Um, I'm adjusting to what is going to be the new normal. Um, you know, these are conversations that people are having and are going on in everybody's heads. Life until we get a vaccine is not going to be the same again. And there are impacts to that, you know, it's 
when are we next going to be with friends and family together in a group? When are people going to be able to socialise in the way that they used to? When are we going to be able to hug people again when we meet them? All those, all the bigger, if you like, um, consequences of now being a society with coronavirus is going to have an impact on everybody and on everybody's mental health. Nobody, even the most resilient person, will be free of this. But we do have to be careful that we don't hang a label on that, on what is a natural adjustment, um, and hang a label of poor mental health or a mental health issue on it, when actually what it is is just um, a, a, an adaptation in the way human beings adapt to many things. And I say that for a very important reason, actually, because I don't want to detract away from people who really do have had mental health issues before this and have been struggling throughout and have serious mental health problems. So I, what I'd be not keen to see is everybody's reaction to COVID being classed as a mental health issue. And of course, some will become a mental health issue, but I would imagine the vast majority of people will work through this and adapt. Uh, I know I am, I know other people are, and that doesn't mean it's not, you know, a uh, a situation that makes you feel low or sad or um, you know, facing an inevitability of living in a society with social distancing and, and measures in place to contain coronavirus. And of course, I, like everyone else, feel that. Um, yeah. To that point about we're all feeling this and the word unprecedented has been used far too much, but it's true. In this instance, this seems like a once in a century occurrence, not even once in a generation. It's uh, and it's different to anything that has come before. With all that in mind, I mean, the UN has been warning that the pandemic is going to cause or is causing a global mental health crisis. The World Health Organization is urging governments around the world to put the issue front and center of their responses. What are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, and you have to because preparedness is important and it's our responsibility to be prepared should that happen. And actually, we're in a really good place because before this even happened, the Prime Minister allocated uh, £2.3 billion to mental health, which is a huge amount of money. No government, I don't think, well, certainly in the UK, no government has ever allocated that sum of money to mental health. We developed a long-term plan in terms of mental health delivery and that was already started and underway and what we've had to do is just accelerate forward the measures that were in that plan for 2021 2 and 3 and bring them forward now which means the uk is probably in a better place than i would say many other countries because we already had the plan in place ready to deliver and money for it and the Prime Minister has also given us extra money as well. We've got £5 million that we've given to MIND to help coordinate the third sector. We've, uh, we're giving um, another huge sum of money is being allocated this week to lots of local charities working in local areas. Because, of course, lots of people don't realise that many charities are government funded. And because the government realises that the best way to deliver mental health services is within communities on the ground directly to people um, and, and with people who have been working you know in this arena many for all of their lives and so we're in a good place in the UK and um, I would say 
Yeah, and I and I think you know I'll hold my hands up and say I think we're in a better place than many other countries. Yeah, I just I just talk about some of those services. We'd already launched Every Mind Matters. We've now done a relaunch of Your Mind Matters, which is, you know, those feelings I was telling you about a moment ago, which are just sadness and a lowness of mood and an adjustment. And so how do you deal with all this adjusting that's going on in your head? Every Mind Matters, you know, if you go on there, it will give you the tools to help you, the things you don't really know unless someone points you in that direction, how to deal with those negative thoughts how to turn that around inside your head to being something that's more positive than negative. And actually that those tools that you can find in Every Mind Matters will stop people going from having just what are normal feelings of sadness and um, feeling disenfranchised from everything that they normally knew, will stop it becoming more serious. And that's why it's so important. That was established, we've relaunched it with extra funding, rebooted it, and it's, and it's it's there and it's for everybody to get on the news and we've also done the same thing for nhs workers they have their own confidential um, mental health support line including uh through counseling sessions so there's that's there we've got 24-hour crisis helplines which are now almost all trust across the country so if someone's and now that was in the long-term plan for i think 21 22 we've just accelerated it forward and um put the money there and now every trust and I know from speaking to an ambulance trust that's made a huge difference so people who are feeling in a mental health crisis now have somewhere to go and to be dealt with people you know one-to-one who are experts in dealing with this and someone to talk to and just those services alone without all the other stuff without the eating disorders uh, money that's gone in and 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 that um, services that she's been boosted and many others, Mind and all of the others, just those three core fundamental services have made a huge difference. And on top of that, I just have to say that no NHS mental health services closed at all during the crisis. They've all been there continually all the way through. Your official title is Minister for Patient Safety, Suicide Prevention and Mental Health. It's it's a relatively new role um, in in Whitehall, and it was Boris Johnson's predecessor, Theresa May, who pushed the mental health awareness agenda. And just to frame it for listeners, we're not going to get into party politics of this. I, I know that you talk about more money going in. I mean, that's in tandem with, frankly, a more global, a different global attitude to mental health and talking about mental health and mental uh, awareness. And it's hard to compare investment now to investment maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago in this kind of thing. Um, but do you think that that overall lack of stigma or maybe not a lack of stigma but a change in the view of mental health and mental illness has enabled governments to take it more seriously and to invest in services yeah and it is governments around the world i think you just cited yourself the un and actually the if you mentioned the world health organization as well but they are um I think it's, it's much more centre stage now than it used to be. And I think that's because of the society that we live in and the way life has changed for so many people. It's maybe that's with the advent of the internet, with um, so many things that have happened so quickly to modernise society. And I think um, people have struggled um, to keep up with that pace of modernisation. 
And I think that's you know, just like you chat through to psychologists and people who work in this field. It's the modernity of life, uh, the pace at which as human beings we've been expected to adapt has been um, phenomenal and not everybody is able to do it. And I think that's why this, this I think it's a global mental health crisis. And, I, and I, you, you very rarely hear it talked about in, in, its, in its fundamental causes. Why do we have this global mental health crisis? Why are so many people suffering from depression and anxiety? I mean, anxiety and depression, I think are two of the biggest you know, uh, issues that people have. Um, I mean, we have this, the, the mental health issues that we've always had, which are, you know, um, schizophrenia, psychosis, all those, you know, kind of very serious and they, they've been with us for a while. But, you know, the anxiety and depression and the number of people and, there's, and you know, the rates of the number of people who take their own life. It's there are so many factors. I know there are lots of people trying to work out what it is, but if you talk to people about you know, fundamentally what is it, it's it's so much more is expected of people, you know, the way society functions, the way people don't have the support networks that they used to, either of friends and family or community. And we have to we have to deal with that and step up to that and treat that. But there is a big question that we have to ask is how do we be kind to ourselves as human beings and stop people being in a position of suffering from anxiety and depression because so many do now. Let's talk about that more in general because, uh, you know, talking about technological advances, changing society, social media is a big part of that. Of course, when people are lonely, it can be a vitally important tool for them to feel connected. But the flip side to that is the likes of trolling, which I know you've been uh, on the receiving end of on, oh, on social media, on, on social media, how do you deal with that? Do you just see it as a part of the job? See it as you have to develop a thick skin, being a frontline politician, or do you think there should be changes there that protect people's mental health when it comes to using social media? That's such a huge discussion, isn't it? You know, it's um, you. So you, you, what you're doing there is is hitting the. Um, Kind of the our civil liberties, our, our right to free speech, our um, our socially liberal agenda against a controlling statist agenda, and should people be able to see say what they want, when they want, where they want? You know, it goes hand in hand with our free press and, and everything else. And the minute, and, and of course, the argument is the minute you start trying to censor or control, then it's as the argument always is, it's a slippery road to, you know, censoring our media. And well, I think, you know, there is something about the UK. If you speak to people in other countries, ministers in other countries, you know, and I'm talking about developed, you know, speak to someone in New Zealand or, you know, in America or in, in another European country, there is something about our social media and our press in this country which is um, can be particularly um, vicious towards others, and that's that's one of the problems. 
Is it to do with our, our brand of politics? We have a combative brand of politics, the way you sit in the commons facing the opponents. We've had a lot of politics in recent years, from the referendum on, on Brexit, three elections in four years. All of this is all, it can be quite overwhelming and also very divisive. Yeah, and I, I don't know how it's ever going to be fixed. I think the combination of, uh, of our, our political system is um, is very very combative and quite aggressive. I think um, I'm not sure whether uh, politicians react to the media. So we are constantly we adapt our behaviour in order to seek out favourable media, which never happens, by the way. Or is it the it was certainly the way around. So it is that toxic mix, I think, of media and politicians and our politics. So that toxic kind of combination is not good. And and I think it filters through into social media. I think one of the bigger problems, you know, is um, so the way a lot of journalists write, and, and by the way, I'm an absolute advocate of free, you know, a free press, but the way many journalists write and the way you see, uh, I'm sorry, Matt, if we get into your territory here, the way you see um, people torn apart in the media, I think actually has an influence on the way people act on social media. Almost if, you know, our job on social media, just as a commentator in a box, is to shred people uh, because that's what journalists do. We have all these civilian journalists, you know, popping up in commentary threads on newspapers and everywhere else. But, but what follows on from that is almost a normalisation uh, and a filtration from writing in the little box, you know, late on Saturday night into wherever they do it, um, to the way people behave and talk in normal life. I think there's a crossover. And so if you like, that cascade goes from politicians to media or media to politicians to people sitting in little commentary boxes into normal life. And I think there must definitely be a tangible connection between all of those things. Clearly, it has an effect on people's mental health. But do you think there's maybe more focus on dealing with the symptoms of this and perhaps not enough focus on dealing with the causes of which maybe you've just outlined a couple? I do, but it's very difficult to deal with the causes. How do you? You know, we've had roundtables in the Department of Health with Instagram and Twitter and, and other social media platforms, but very little happens as a result. I mean, we have got parental controls, and there are some things that have happened, but it's, it is actually incredibly difficult to, even for those, those social media platform operators, to filter um, and they do, they do, yeah, there is some work, particularly on Instagram, I believe, some work that goes on on this. But it doesn't stop the abuser who wants to, you know, God, you only have to look at the, I think I've probably blocked, or maybe it's 3,000 people on my Twitter account, some, you know, pretty horrific abuse, and particularly towards politicians, and very particularly towards female politicians. You know, it doesn't stop that. But it's not just, you know, we're, we're, we put ourselves in this position to take it. You know, teenage girls don't put themselves in that position. Teenage boys, young people who have, um, who whose emotions are developing and their skills to deal with life and people are still developing. 
they don't put themselves in the position of deserving or asking for abuse or horrific things to happen to them um, online, which, you know, take away their self-confidence, leave them um, in a state of anxiety, not sleeping, um, you know, just, just generally suffering. And they are all, all kind of, that's, if you like, a cocktail that leads straight into poor mental health and then more serious mental health issues. So, you know, a troll online, leaving a nasty comment, might think that someone might be hurt. It might, you know, it might be like a, a slap on the face. It'll sting for a minute and then that person will get on with their life. But it doesn't because those words have consequences. And I don't think those trolls actually probably realise it, there's a long tail to a comment and that comment can just trigger some anxiety that will trigger depression that will trigger a more serious mental health issue that could last for somebody's lifetime just to try and sort of wrap things up uh, a little bit uh, nadine i mean the theme of mental health awareness week this week is being kind and that's something we're hearing more in general at the moment uh, do you have any optimism that the country uh, is going to start healing some of the wounds that have developed over the past few years and being kinder to each other. Are you seeing any more examples of that beyond the NHS clapping, communities being a bit closer together? Do, do you have any optimism for that as we as we build back better? Do you know, I do. And, um, and wasn't that just the start of it? Wasn't clapping for carers, rainbows in windows, um, volunteers, 750,000 volunteer responders, people out shopping for each other, people looking up, isn't this, I think, you know, there's a lot of heartache that's come with coronavirus and the adjustment to life, you know, with living with coronavirus is going to be, as I said at the beginning, a massive adjustment. But in itself, I think um, it sparked something quite different. And I think that um, one of the consequences of this, maybe, you know, if there's any good to come from it, and I hope there is some, um, but it will be that we may may end up with a slightly um, a, slight, a more thoughtful society, uh, which is more considerate to each other. And I was listening to someone this morning on a radio talking about um, we've been in hospital and going to a hospital garden, and I was incredibly opened their eyes for the first time to nature and to healing. You know, healing kind of qualities of countryside and nature and, and and he was talking about how he was talking about mental health and how people who have houseplants, pets, pictures of wildlife on their walls actually contributed to a, a better feeling and I think that kindness which we're going to see come from uh, what's happened during the coronavirus um, crisis which I think people will be more aware of I think that's going to be one of the goods to come from this is that people are more aware of each other and kind to each other. Thanks to Nadine Dorries and to you for listening. You can find more episodes of The Freudcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud, featuring the likes of author and artist Charlie Maxey, chef and restaurateur Ruth Rogers and our agency's founder Matthew Freud. You can also see more of what Freud is up to on Instagram and LinkedIn. Bye for now. <laughs>